1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 29. And I believe we touched on this last week. But this I say, brethren, the time is short, or the appointed time is short. The appointed time for the Lord's work in your life and my life is short. The time that we have here in, in this earth to minister the gospel, to sow the seed, because you know, you have so many years, I have so many years, and we are to, as we have heard many times, we are to die like the seed, it falls into the ground and dies, and then if it, if it dies, it brings forth an increase, and you in your life can influence people, you can minister, you can share the word, whatever that may be that the Lord would have you doing, the time is short for that. And my prayer is not necessarily to go to heaven. I mean, I know I'll go to heaven, but my prayer to the Lord is, Lord, don't cut me short. Don't take me before my time. Give me more time to, to minister. Give me more time to sow seed. Give me more time to, to do your will. Give me more time to break forth the gospel to bring understanding and light to people, to help them along in their walk, to help them along maybe five, ten years from now. Maybe uh, when I'm long gone, something that was taught will be there and, and the person will, will hear that. The Spirit of God will bring that back to them. Just like the, the apostles, they went and they ministered and they uh, sowed seed. And a lot of what we see today and a lot of what we read today is you know, their lives. And, and of course, we're not going to be re, um, writing epistles, but Paul says that you are epistles read of all men. So you don't have to write an epistle like he did. So you are read of men, and men will read that, and that may have a, an impact on their life, and that may be for all eternity, not just for here and now at this time. And what you have done, the, so, the seed you have sown, the, the individual that you have placed in the right direction, you may be long gone off the scene too. And that particular thing goes on and on and on. It can go on for centuries. Go on, I mean, we don't really see that. It can go on for generation after generation. Um, so, you know, for example, you minister to those who are your age, and then you minister to those maybe that are younger. Well, they'll, they'll most likely outlive you. In something that is in their life, in their heart, they may minister to their children or to the generation coming up behind them. So we don't see any of that. That's all hidden for the most part, but we just need to sow in faith and believe and trust in God with our lives. He says that the time is short so that from now on, even those who have wives, and we, we looked at this last week, should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use this world as not misusing it. For the form of this world is passing away. The form, the, the King James says, the fashion of this world, the form of it. So what we see here today uh, in the world, uh, the world system, 
all that goes on in governments, you know, all that goes on po politically, all that goes on personally in people's lives that is not uh, related to the kingdom of God, that is not slowly but quickly is going to pass off the scene. I mean, look at you right now. How, can you believe how old you are now? Can you believe your age? I mean, it's gone so fast. And those of you maybe that are much younger, that are 20 or 30, it, it seems like maybe, you know, you have all this time. But, you know, remember when you were in high school? How, how many years have come by since then? So it goes fast. And whenever you get older, you hit 40 or you hit 50, then you'll, your perspective of all this will change. And you will see, wow, did that go fast? 60 years. Even now, it seems to me that time is even going faster, although the, the physical sun and the earth revolving around the sun and the, the rotation of the earth doesn't change much in a year. But our realization that time is short and things are going to come to an end, maybe not necessarily relating to the universe, you know, in, in the world at this particular time, but for us in our life, it's coming to an end. So he says here, and the form of this world or the fashion of this world is passing away, or the King James says, passeth away. That's present tense. This something is occurring even now. So let's look at a few scriptures related to that. James chapter 1. Remember the verse that says, um, maybe it's in one of these. I'm not sure. Let me see. James chapter 1, verse 10. Yeah, this is close. But the rich, or verse 9. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. In other words, God is going to raise one and God is going to bring the other down. Because as the flower of the field, he will pass away. So the flowers of the field, as beautiful as they are, as, as, if you would take a flower, certain flowers, and you would look at them, if you really study them, put them under a microscope, or get yourself a big magnifying glass and look at them. Has anybody ever done that? You have never done that. <laughs> What's this? Well, see, maybe I think differently because, you know, I, I see God in the intricacies of, of life around us even. Uh, take a flower, get yourself a magnifying glass, and, and look at the creation of a flower. How intricate everything is that you don't normally see with the with the uh, naked eye when you look at something sitting on the ground. Or even a banana. Well, you can't see that too well, though. It is pretty crazy, though. Yeah. You get a banana and you cut it lengthwise, real carefully, cut it lengthwise, open it up, and look in the middle. Has anybody ever done that? Mm -hmm. And you see how intricate the creation of a banana is. And he says that, and you know, they say that your, your body is, is quite a magnificent creation. They don't even understand how the entire body functions the way it does. There's a lot of mysteries there. But I mean, having a body that can fight off 
bacterial diseases and viruses and all these different things that the body does. Um, and looking at the certain organs of the body, you know, taking a picture and, and they, they open it up and you get to see the different chambers of the heart and all these different things of the lungs and how it's made. And then you, you um, see a picture of that magnified and it's, it's quite amazing, but the body, how many bodies go into the grave every day? As, as magnificent as that creation is, it's passing away like the flower. So the real you is not the body. The real you is the spirit that is in your body. That's the real you. So he says in verse 11, For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its be beautiful appearance perishes. You know, well, you know, how many hours uh, do some of the women in Hollywood spend in front of the mirror and spend in front of the makeup artist? And it's soon perishing. It's soon going to change. It says, so the rich man will also fade away in his pursuits or in his ways. So he's talking about the rich man as opposed to the lowly brother, the lowly one. The rich man is, is exalts himself, and it's all going to pass away. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 11, go back to verse 10. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens and the work of your hand. They will perish, but you remain. And they all will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak, and you will fold them up. That's it's quite something. You know, that you talk about the power of God. He's going to take it all and fold it up like you'd fold a jersey or a, a jacket or something and put it in a drawer. They will perish, but you remain. They will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up. And they will be changed, but you are the same. So the contrast here is between the heavens and the earth, the foundation of the earth, verse 10, and the heavens. And the contrast is that which man delights in and that which man, you know, I think this is the absolute best there is compared to God. It's nothing. He folds it up like he's going to someday fold it up like a piece of a garment. In Revelation, turn to Revelation 21. I'm going to read a verse from 1 John. 1 John 2.17 says, And the world is passing away. See, that's hard for us to see that. Unless there is a work of the Spirit of God in the heart, we will not see that. You know, we will devote our entire being, we'll devote our lives, I mean we, I mean anyone. They'll devote their entire being, their time, everything to that which is seen, that which is in this world, um, to the world system, to whatever. So he says here, that the world is passing away and the lust, the desires of it. It doesn't matter what the individual desires. Um, 
a person can have strong desires for something in this world. But when death comes, that's going to pass away for them. There's nothing, nothing going to remain. But in general, he says that the world is passing away, or you could say the world system is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So when he uses the world, the word world, that's the Greek word cosmos. And that means uh, the arrangements of man apart from God, basically. Uh, let me see here. The affairs of man, the, all that which is earthly, and it also can mean the, the world and its inhabitants, um, all passing away. They just don't know it yet. Revelation 21. Now look at this. This is quite interesting. Now, as I said, it takes a work of the Spirit of God to open up our eyes to not just what is true, but that which is eternal. So you have that which is temporal or the temporary here and now. And we are part of that because we have a physical body. And then you have that which is eternal. And that we can't see is related to our spirit. And to have a work, to have that within you, the work of God, that understands and knows that the eternal is the important thing. I mean, that, that takes the Spirit of God working in your life, opening your eyes to certain things, and you proceeding in a certain direction. Verse 1, it says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So all that, even the... I mean, I don't understand it, but all the stars and everything you see out there, the Lord's going to change everything. He's going to take it and do something with it, and there's going to be something new that's going to occur. So, so John has this revelation. He sees this in spirit. So you can't see something like that in the natural because it didn't happen yet. He saw this in spirit. And we will only see if we see in spirit. We won't see certain things unless the Lord opens our eyes to it. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. And all those people that are beach lovers, and I enjoy going to the beach, but all those people that make their life the beach or some lake or some body of water, like the one individual I used to work with, he wanted to retire, he wanted to buy a, well, actually it was a refurbished barge. It's actually, they make it into a boat, a boat, a home on, it's float, floating with the motor, everything. He wanted to, to get a large boat and, and uh, settle out in Lake Mead. Uh, I think it's in Utah, out there somewhere. And, and that was his thing, that he would be able to go there and you know, go through some of the coastal the, the, the waters, even in, up and down the East Coast. Well, what are these people going to do when it's all gone? So if, you, if that's your life, 
going to the beach. You know, moving away and moving to where the ocean is. You know, you like to hear the ocean? I love to hear the ocean, you know. It's just like very calming. I believe a lot of people like that. But um, some people will rearrange their entire life to fulfill some dream to be close to, to the ocean. Or I want to live here because I can go to the rivers and, and boat and all this other stuff. Now, there's nothing, nothing wrong with boating. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that people put the emphasis of their life on the ocean and, and all this. And the Lord says, it's going to pass away. It's going to be gone. What he's going to replace with, I have no idea, but it's going to be a lot better. It's hard for us to comprehend that, right? Isn't it? Get rid of the ocean. Two-thirds of the world is, is water. And he's going to take care of it. It's not going to be the same. It's going to be much, 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 much better. What, it's, what it is, I don't know. And he goes on about the Holy Jerusalem there in verse 2. Um, let's turn to Second Peter. Chapter 3. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. So he's, Peter even sees this. He says that, that all that we see is going to be changed. Um, the heavens are going to pass away. The elements are going to, to melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And that, I believe that's referring to anything that man has done. So all these, these huge skyscrapers and all this building that you see, it's all going to be taken, it's going to be burnt up, everything. And then the Lord's going to begin a new thing. Verse 11, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved... What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? So if you believe the word of God and you believe the witness of John and Peter and the others, that there will be a change. The heavens and the earth will, will pass away. Uh, there will be a, a fervent heat that will burn up the earth and the works in the earth. If you believe that, and I believe that, then the question is, in verse 11, what manner of persons should we be in holy conduct and godliness? See, how should we be living if we believe that? So the problem is, a person can read that in the Bible and say they believe that, but they don't have the realization of the Spirit of God in their life to walk with Him. To walk with him. See, because if you walk with him, I mean, all this other stuff doesn't really matter because it's going to take care of itself. It doesn't matter. The Lord's interested in you and I serving him. He's interested in you and I following him. He's interested in working in your life the character of Christ. And he's interested in touching you in a way that changes you changes your life, changes your direction, changes your thinking. It says that, uh, that we are, our, our minds are, are renewed or transformed see, by the renewing of your mind. 
So renewed, what does that mean? It means that, that you're, you're renewed or your mind is changed. And now you start to view things. The Word of God comes into you, into your heart. And now you start to th- see things through the eyes of the Lord rather than the eyes of uh, other people in, in the earth that are looking at this earth and that which is temporal, that which is natural. So there is a transition when you first become a Christian. There's a transition into a new place. You're birthed into a new place. And now when you start to walk in that place in the kingdom of God, you, you become not just transformed inside here in your spirit, but now the Lord has to work on your mind because it's very difficult to have your thinking change. The Lord can do that. Has anybody ever tried to tell somebody something and they couldn't receive what you're saying? Have you ever tried, let's say, you know, you have a certain <coughs> political affiliation. Let's say you're, you're a Republican and you try to talk to someone who's a staunch Democrat and you're going to tell them about you know, the, the conservative view is this, you know, for this reason, for the, the Bible and all. It's like uh, talking to the wall. Now, here's, a, here's another thought. Can you be convinced of something other than you think? If you're thinking of a particular thing, this is how you think of that. Um, this is how you reason that this thing, particular thing is. Can someone come and talk to you and change your thoughts? Sometimes they can, but for the most part, when we make a decision, of, you know, this is the way we think, that we're stuck in that. And we all have certain things we believe and think about, and you know, this is the way this is, and this is the way this is. And the Spirit of God has to somehow change our thinking so we start to think like Him. And He does that through the Word of God. That's why it's so important to read the Bible. Because he'll change your thinking in certain things, you know. He'll change the way you think. He'll change the way um, you go about doing things. He'll change your actions. And um, it's quite something. It's actually a, a miracle to get s- somebody out of their, their thinking. They, they've, they've been moving in this groove for so many years. And this is how things are. This is how they perceive everything in their life and in the world. And then all of a sudden the Lord comes and he starts to show you, you know, this is this. I remember years ago, the, um, the one woman who was the one who, who really in our generation started the uh, atheist movement. And I believe, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, that she read the Bible through in a weekend. And, you know, whenever you read some of the things in the Old Testament, in particular the Old Testament, where God t- tells them to go in and wipe out, you know, the whole, the whole uh, town and kill men, women, children, and the animals and all this stuff. And you read that and you think about that in the natural. I mean, that's, that's quite, you have a different reaction than if you allow the Lord to show you what that's, you know, what's going on, what that is. So she read the Bible and she concluded that there was no God because of what she read. And she started the, athe- the, the atheist movement. It was very strong for, well, I, I know in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. And to make a long story short, 
her son, she brought her son up in that too. And somewhere along the line, I, I believe, I believe she disappeared and never found her body. I believe. I'm not sure about that. But her son, afterward, had an experience with the Lord and, and came out of that. Just, just like the uh, Roe v. Wade thing. You know, she got involved with that, that decision from the courts that still stands today. And there was a change in her life, and she wished that that could have been changed. But it's too late. So the Lord can step in in a person's life and change their thinking. You know, I don't believe there's God. Or I don't believe this. Or I think this is the way things are and this is the way they should be. And, um, and the Lord can, can change that. But see, whenever we first come to Christ, we still have our thinking with us. You know what I'm saying? We still... You know, we think a certain way. Well, now we've surrendered to the Lord, but we're thinking a certain way. So it takes some time for the Lord to change our thinking and now have us go in a certain direction with him. And then as you continue to walk with him, you find out that something that you thought was correct, he shows you that, no, this is what, this is the way it should be. This is what you should be uh, looking at it this way. So it's, it's quite something. The Lord's good. Okay. 1 Corinthians 8. Verse 1. Now I want to look at the word no. The word no in the Greek the English spelling of it is gnosko. We get the word from that in English, no, and then you get a derivative of no is knowledge. Now that knowledge in the Bible, that word in, in Greek is gnosis, gnosis. So in verse one, now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge, that's um, gnosis. Knowledge puffs up, but love, that's the Greek word agape, love edifies. So in the first two or three verses here, Paul is contrasting Knowledge and love, the two English words, or uh, gnosko and agape or agapeo. So he's contrasting those two things. So in the first verse, he talks about knowledge and he says, but knowledge will puff you up. It will make you think you're something. See, I've, I've never been interested in knowledge, the only interest I have in knowing certain things in the scripture is for my life to walk with him. And the Lord knows that I've always wanted to be able to see for the benefit of others so that I could teach and I could give them something that could help them down the road, help them today and maybe some years later. So the, the, the knowledge 
in and of itself can puff you, puff you up. You know, oh, I know this, I know that. And then sometimes you get around some people that are Christians and they let you know what they know. You know, oh, I know, what about this? What do you, they ask you the question, you know, what do you think of this particular scripture? And they're wanting your opinion, but they also want to tell you what they know in their opinion. So it's interesting to watch that, and that happens. I mean, it's okay to talk about scripture, you know what I'm saying? But some people, they, they have a reason why they do what they do. And it's that, you know, they, they believe that they've studied, they believe that they know this word, they believe that they know what this says. And then now knowledge, whether they understand it or not, if they're, if they're seeking that for the wrong reasons, remember Solomon, he um, was seeking after what? Wisdom. And the Lord gave it to him because he wanted it for the right reasons. Now he... he abused it, he didn't go the right way with it eventually. But the, in the beginning, the reason he wanted it was for others, to guide the people, to help the people. You know, he didn't ask for it for himself, per se. And um, the Lord granted it. So knowledge can make a person have a big head. Now I know about this, now I know this, now I've heard this message, I've heard that, and now I can tell you about this. Uh, well, that's all well and good, as long as you're doing it for the correct reason, and it doesn't give you this big head. So he says knowledge puffs up, but love, see love doesn't, because true love, agape, uh, is a self-sacrificing love. It has nothing to do with you. <laughs> so if you're interested in another's well-being and you agapeo them, okay, you love them correctly, then that edifies. It edifies them and that could be an edification in your life because you are um, moving in the right way with Look with love. So knowledge can be dangerous. Verse 2. And if anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing as he ought to know. If anyone thinks... Now he's talking here, I believe, about the one who's puffed up. Anyone thinks he knows anything. Oh, I know this, I know that. He knows nothing as he ought to know. See, because... His knowing is flawed. How can you know if your knowing is flawed? You think you know, but you don't know because your knowing is flawed. See, because you are, are puffed up and you think you know. Paul says, if you think you know, you know nothing as you ought to know. So don't worry about knowing, just know him. If you know him, he's the one that can bring knowledge to you. So don't worry about knowledge. Just be concerned about knowing him. Now, verse 3 is a curious verse. And I believe that there's something hidden in this verse that we would read over and glance over 
and not really meditate upon and not see what is there. So remember that he's contrasting these. So in verse 3, he uses the verb love. He says, but if anyone loves God, that's present tense. That means that agape loves, that would be agapeo, that's the verb. If anyone agapeos God, well, what does agapeo, what does that mean? Well, that means that, first of all, love is a choice of the will. Secondly, love deals with sacrifice. So, see, you sacrifice for, an, for others. And then love is dedication. So, if anyone is dedicated and sacrifices for God. If you're dedicated to God, the, the latter part of the verse says, this one, this one who's dedicated to the Lord. And see, the Lord knows who we are, all of us. And he knows those who are dedicated to him and those who are not. So you can't fool God no matter what you do, no matter what you say. You can fool someone in church. You can fool a relative. You can fool, you know, different people you, you work with, but you can't fool God. If anyone, and he says, if, if anyone loves God. Now, if they do, if they're dedicated to the Lord, this one is known by God. Well, I thought the Lord knew everyone. I thought he was all powerful and he knows everyone. Does the Lord know everyone? I'm going to ask you a question. Does the Lord know everyone? Yes. Absolutely. So, I mean, that's a given. We know that. But that's not what Paul is meaning with that. He says, if anyone is dedicated to God, that one, that one is known by God. See, the Lord knows everyone. Listen, but he doesn't know everyone the same. His relationship with certain people is different. Those who are dedicated to the Lord, and the Lord, he'll look down and he'll see that. He'll see, oh, you are dedicated to me. That agape in your heart is moving out to me in the right, correct way. I know that one in an intimate way. I will make myself known to them. And he says, this one is known by me. And that knowing there is an intimate thing. Now in, let's go to John and try to explain this a little better to you. John 8. See, there are those who know the Lord. And then there are those who really know the Lord. Do you want the Lord to really know you? This one is known of him. In John 8, verse 31, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word... You are my disciples indeed. See, disciples are special people. 
Not all who believe are disciples, but all disciples are believers. And you see that in these verses. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciple indeed. So a disciple will be the one who abides in his word. Verse 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So the the truth here, and the freedom coming from the truth, is for the disciple. See, it's not just for anybody that says, oh, I accept Jesus Christ. It's for the disciple. The context is being a disciple. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. If you're not going to abide in my word, you're not my disciple indeed. And you may believe, you may call upon the name of the Lord, you may make it to heaven, but he's not talking about that. He's talking about discipleship. And those who respond in their hearts and follow the Lord and abide in his word, they become very special people because the Lord can do things in their life and do things with their life that he cannot do with the masses. And because of, of different things, you know, their, their interest is the Lord. Is my interest, is your interest the Lord? Or are we interested more in our own life? You know, what's going on in our life? Now, now granted, we all have things we have to do. And you know, the Lord you know, gives us certain liberties. But is your heart for the Lord? I mean, do you really want him? When you go to bed at night, you say, good night, Lord. <laughs> Last time I said in the morning, when you wake up, you say, good morning to the Lord. Now I'm saying, when you go to bed at night, you say, good night, Lord, before you fall asleep. I have to do it real fast, because I fall asleep. Linda says I fall asleep 30 seconds sometimes. <laughs> I lay down, and I'm, I'm on. I'm done. Good night, Lord. I'm going to say it real quick. <laughs> some of you women, you know, some of the women, you know, they're laying in bed for an hour, an hour and a half. Their, their minds are racing. You know, they need to, you know, like you get your car and you put on a brake, you know, put the brake on. You've got plenty of time to say goodnight to the Lord. In uh, John 15, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be teaching this chapter very soon in John, verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So you see in John 8, and here in John 15, he mentions this abiding. Abiding is very, very important. For a branch to abide in the vine or in the tree is extremely important to the survival of the branch. So the, the branch cannot survive if it's not abiding in the tree. That's, I mean, we know that that's you know, simple physics. You cut, cut the branch and it just it dies. It may straight, stay green for a little while, but it's going to die. And that's why Jesus used that illustration. You know, we have to abide in him. Now, abiding is going to be the place 
that you are going to be near to the Lord. A branch in a tree is as close as it can be. So if, if we want the closeness to the Lord, we must abide. And that will be the place that we will be able to function in agape, uh, dedication to the Lord, and become in the relationship very close to where the Lord says, you agapeo me, you love me, and I know you. Not just a casual knowing, not just a knowing like some who believe or call upon the name of the Lord have, but a knowing that is far beyond the normal thinking of Christians. Some Christians, anyway. So there, there is to be in our life a closeness to the Lord that will permeate our being and will, you know, flow out. That, I mean, you just, you have this relationship with him and you feel bad for some people that don't. I mean, there's people that come to church and some people that come to church, any church, not just this church, any church, some have this intimacy with the Lord and they're abiding, you know, in his word, abiding in him. And because of that, they have this closeness with the Lord. And by the way, that does not mean because they can quote scriptures and find scriptures and they, they have, have this understanding of certain things does not necessarily translate to relationship because a person could go to graduate school uh, in, in the, one of the ministries and still come out from that and not have any closer relationship than whenever they went. You know, well, I'll go to seminary and you, you find out at the end of that it's the cemetery. And, you know, there's no more relationship at the end than in the beginning. So it's not about studying. It's not about... Um, I, I believe in study. I believe in all that. I'm saying I'm not, not, that's not the point. Uh, but it's not about all these things that men devote themselves to. It's about our connection to the Lord, our closeness to Him, and our development along with Him. You know, a branch will continue to grow. I went out of, out of my patio last night, and I glanced up. I was at the end of my patio, and I have this uh, maple tree that's a ways away, and I didn't even really notice it until the leaves changed colors. And I could see one branch come, it used to be way down there. Now it's all the way up to the end of my patio, and that's, we're talking, I don't know, 25 feet? Huge, huge, huge. And here that thing is way over here. Well, you know, if a branch abides in the, in the tree, in the trunk of the tree, in, in the vine, as we, we see here. What takes place is growth. It's just the normal thing. The, the, the branch will continue to grow and uh, produce fruit or whatever type of tree it is, you know, produce seeds or whatever. So your growth is going to depend on your abiding in that, you know, being, being beside the Lord being with him. 
So he says, this one is known by God. And I like the Amplified. I'm going to read, this is uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 3. But if, if one loves God truly with affection, affectionate reverence, prompt obedience, and grateful recognition of his blessing, he is known by God, listen, recognized by God as worthy of his intimacy and love. So the Lord looks and he sees your dedication. And he says, okay, you are known by me. Uh, I am recognizing you uh, that you are worthy of intimacy with me. Wow, that's pretty good. I like that. So as I said before, I, I say it up, upstairs at times. I mean, you know, what do we want as Christians? Um, do we want to have a close relationship with him? That, that's all I really want. I mean, I, I told you before, I want to stand before the Lord clean and pure. I do want that, yes. But that will come through relationship, through growth, through walking with him. So, you know, the Lord wants to bring us even, 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 even ever closer to him. So let's read this one more time. Now that we went through the whole thing. And as I said, verse 1, you see the difference between knowledge. Are you with me? Okay. I thought you didn't know where I was. 1 Corinthians 8, 1. You see the difference. He's drawing the, um, or showing the difference between knowledge and love. He's, he's contrasting those two. And then verse 2, if anyone thinks he knows, he's talking about the one who's puffed up, the one who's pride, uh, prideful, the one who thinks he knows everything. He knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But in contrast, now he's going back to love here. But if anyone agapeos God, if anyone is dedicated to God as a Christian, if you are absolutely dedicated to the Lord, that one, this one, this individual, is known by him. So the Lord will see your heart. The Lord will see your dedication. You can't fool anyone. Remember, you can't fool God. You can't fool him on this. You can fool people, but not him. He'll see your dedication, and he will say that I know that one, or because of what I see in your life, you are worthy of intimacy with me. So the Lord wants to know us, even though he knows all men, even though he knows all Christians. The Lord wants to say, I know him, I know you in an intimate way because you are dedicated to me. So we will never, ever have the dedication to the Lord. We will never be disciples unless we are abiding in his word or abiding in him. See, so this abiding thing is extremely important. And remember, this is an internal thing. So you have a desire for the Lord. 
And I see this a lot. People come to the altar and they come because they have a desire for the Lord. They may not even know why they're coming or they may have in their mind a reason why they're coming. But a lot of times that's translated in, Lord, I want you. Lord, I I just want more of you in my life. I just want to know you. And the dedication he wants in the life many times takes, sometimes it takes time, sometimes it takes a work of the Spirit where he does something for you, and I believe many times that's why he does certain things for us, so that he encourages us and brings us on in our faith in him so that we can be locked in, so to speak, dedicated to him, uh, abiding in him. So if we're abiding in him, the growth will come, the maturity will come just like a branch in a tree. It will come. The fruit will come. Everything will take care of itself in our life. As long as we can have this attachment to the Lord. Remember, let me see if I can find it. Remember the rich young ruler. Matthew 19. Turn there. Now this is where the the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. And he says in verse 16, you know, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit or have uh, eternal life? Then he goes on and he says that he's, he's kept the commandments and so on and so forth. Um, verse nine, not 19, verse 20. The young man said to Jesus, all these things have I kept from my youth. What do I still lack? So the man knew, even though he was keeping certain commandments, he knew that there was a lack in his life. So Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect or you want to be complete, um, if you want to grow, there's another way to say it. Go and sell what you have. Now, what's that? See, that's a detachment. That's being detached from something that he was attached in his heart to. He was attached to his riches. That's why the Lord dealt with that particular thing. He says, if you want to be complete, detach yourself from your riches, detach yourself from this particular thing and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. So when he says, come follow me, that's the attachment. So be detached from these other things that are hindering you and be attached to me. So as I said, the attachment, just like a branch to a tree, is this abiding. And he says, come follow me, just like the Lord said to us here, come and follow me. He might not have said that in those words. He didn't say that in those words to me. But I was compelled in my heart toward the Lord. Didn't know what that was. But other things had to go. Now the attachment. Why did the Lord want him to be detached from his riches? Because he can't be attached to the Lord if he's attached to riches. So he had to be detached from that and attached to the Lord. Once the Lord gets the individual in this relationship where now uh, they are attached to him, 
They're abiding in him. They're abiding in his word, whatever that may be in their life. Now comes the fellowship. Now comes the growth. Now comes the knowing. Remember what I said earlier. I says, don't seek to know, to have knowledge. Don't seek that. Seek the Lord who is able to give you knowledge to bring understanding. Don't seek the understanding. Don't seek the knowledge in and of itself. Seek him and he'll give you what you need. But the important thing is to be attached. And remember that a disciple is different than a believer. Disciples are special because disciples are attached to the vine, Jesus being the vine. And they follow him wherever he goes. They will hear him, they will hear his word, and they will say, okay, Lord, now, you know, what, what is that that you, you have here? What is it you're showing me? What are you teaching me? What is it that you want me to do or not do or whatever? So the disciple uh, is a learner. The word means learner, pupil. It means follower too. That's, that's the, the, the core of, of that is following. But a disciple is a learner. Now for you to learn will take, truly learn, will take a certain heart condition. Disciples must have a certain heart condition. And to learn, we must be attached and, as it says in Corinthians, we must love him. We must be dedicated. We must agapeo the Lord. Must be dedicated in our heart to the Lord. For all that to work right. So when the Lord comes and he tries to do something in our lives to maybe move something out, to make room for something else, there is a reason for that. And there is a reason why he's looking to you to be faithful to him and to be dedicated to him. Because if he can get that right in your life, he can get that right in your heart, he can bring you along and you can can make leaps and bounds, so to speak, in the kingdom, because now he can teach you, he can lead you, all these different things. And he could say, this one is known of me. Let me read that again from the Amplified. But if one loves God truly, truly, uh, with affectionate reverence, prompt obedience, and so on, he, that one, is known by God and recognized as worthy of his intimacy. See, so... Your loving the Lord or your dedication to the Lord will bring to you intimacy with him. Now, what, what does dedication mean to you? What does it mean? I mean, when you think of dedication, what does that mean? Does that mean reading your Bible or going to church? You know, actually... I mention that a lot, but, you know, we are to develop good habits. Good habits, you know, 
It's like when you're a kid, you know, good hygiene. Something your parents you know, trying to drum into you. Do certain things. Put your clothes away. Brush your teeth. You know, all these things. To, to develop certain things so that when you get older, you know, that's, that functions in your life. To, you know, you don't want to be told to do that. It's good to... Um, I know an individual. Let's say it this way. I know an individual personally. And I've never met anyone, any Christian... Now, I'm sure they're out there, but I've never met anyone as disciplined as this guy. Never. He gets up every morning, and he, he's been doing this for like 45 years. He goes through all these certain exercises. He does push-ups, all these things, every single day of his life. Then he sits down, and he reads his Bible for so long. I mean, maybe a half hour, an hour, I don't know. And then, you know, he has this time of prayer. He structures everything in his life. Everything. Just the way he is. And he goes to church. All these different things. And that's not in and of itself bad. I mean, I think sometimes that might be good for people to make a habit of reading your Bible. Some people need to make a habit of going to church. Good, those are good habits. But see, it's really not about those things per se. You know, there is to be in the heart this in spirit, attachment to the Lord, this dedication to Him. Now, if that is there and that's maintained the right way, if it's correct, and you are maintaining that, then everything else will take its place. So I'm, I'm not structured like that. I mean, if, if I have time, I'll sit down maybe and, and you know, read the Scriptures you know, or, or whatever. But the important thing is for you. I mean, some, some people need that. They need the structure because they have none. But the important thing is that you abide in his word because that's going to be a starting point that's going to bring you to growth and all kinds of things. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. And nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal... The Lord knows those who are his. So he knows those that have made the choice to serve the Lord, yes. But he also knows those who are in the intimate relationship with him. So as I said earlier, the Lord knows Christians. But some Christians he really knows because of the intimacy there, because of, of the heart. So he says here, The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So in other words, leave certain things go. Let, that, you know, th let there be a change there in your life, so that your manner of living can move you toward him. If anyone loves God... This one is known by him. He knows some really well. 